Hello, this is Joe Keo, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. What's up? It's Davo welcoming you into another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. Today, one of the guys that helped get it started, he literally helped the Royals in their winning ways early on. Joe Keough, as in he had the game-winning hit in the first ever Royals game back in 1969 against the Minnesota Twins. So Keough literally, first game-winning hit. In Royals history. Pretty cool right there. Played for the Royals from 1969 until 1972. After originally coming up with the Kansas City A's. Never actually made it to the major leagues when the A's were in Kansas City. But did play in Oakland before KC got him in the expansion draft. Now, Joe Keogh comes from a great baseball family. Older brother played in the big leagues. Nephew played in the big leagues. Had another older brother who played in the minor leagues. Goes on and on and on with that family in baseball. And Joe Keo joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation. Very excited about this one. Hey, Joe, good to talk to you. And how's everything going? Good. Things have really good, especially, uh, well, almost perfect with the Royals this year. I was really proud of them. It was great. So you're still following baseball quite a bit, I take it? I follow it from afar, yes. Yeah, well, your brother Marty also played in the big leagues. How's he doing these days? He's doing fine. He still scouts for uh, St. Louis. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. And then his son, a.k.a. your nephew, Matt, had a nice and long uh, MLB career. Is he doing pretty good, too? He is. He's uh, still in California, and uh, his son played for a while, too. Wow. The whole, the whole Keo family. Baseball's a natural thing, I guess, right? Uh, we're sports nuts, or crazy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's learn all about it. Let's go way back and then and start from you growing up then. So you uh, went to Pomona's Ganesha High School. You were a four-sport athlete there. And then uh, your older brother, Marty, uh, and then also another brother, Tom, played some pro ball as well. So how much did your brothers help you with sports growing up? And then were your parents the reason that you guys first got into sports, I'm assuming? Well, just being around it, I think, helped. Uh, my brothers, uh, and I like to remind them of this, are considerably older than I am, so uh, <laughs> they, they weren't around too much to really help me. Uh, I have one closer brother, Artie, who was seven years older than I was, but uh, I was the youngest of four boys. Well, you ended up going uh, to Mount San Antonio then in Walnut, California, and you helped lead them to a state baseball title. You were also an All-American quarterback. So uh, were you better at baseball or football for most of your life? Well, while I was in baseball, they told me I was better in football. <laughs> and in football, probably vice versa. But uh, I like all sports. Uh, you never know what you're better in. It's, I enjoy playing what I play when I play it. Well, you had some ridiculous amount of touchdown passes I read, like 24 or something like that. So, I mean, was there ever talk of you playing college and or professionally or, you know, at quarterback? Were you good enough where you could have done that? I, yeah, I had a lot of scholarship offers, and I ended up going to Arizona State University uh, on a football scholarship for a while. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, what was that experience like? 
Well, it didn't last very long. I went down there and I was uh, a freshman at ASU and uh, at the time uh, really wanted to play baseball and football. Frank Cush was our football coach and uh, Bobby Winkles was our baseball coach. I got to know Bobby pretty well. I, uh, I wanted to play baseball, but he, uh, he couldn't work it out through Cush. I had to play spring football. I ended up leaving after half a year at Arizona State. Okay. Well, eventually the KCAs draft you then in the second round of uh, 1965. So you got discovered and signed by two scouts named Art Lilly and Don Lindeberg. So were the A's kind of the team that you were expecting to draft you and, and was, I'm assuming, a pretty easy decision to sign with them? I was pretty naive at that age. I had no idea that the free agent draft, or I had little idea of what the free agent draft really meant. I had quite a few offers coming out of high school uh, through various teams, and I had remembered uh, my dad talking about how my brother had signed by uh, virtually having people drop offers on the table and Marty signing uh, a large bonus back in the 1950s, and I thought that was the way he did it. When the free agent draft came upon, I was shocked to find out I was uh, basically owned by the A's. <laughs> yeah. Well, now at that time, they were still obviously in Kansas City as well. So, I mean, did a young kid from California know a lot about Kansas City back then? I did. It was uh, at that particular point in time, or actually it was a few years before then, my family used to take trips to uh, Kansas City. We had friends back there, and that was the... Uh, farthest west that the American League had a baseball team. And so we would go see my brother play, who was in Boston at that time. When, that was when Ted Williams and Pearsall and Jensen were there. And so we'd go back there and spend a week or two and watch uh, baseball games for a few days. Oh, so you actually went to some games at Municipal Stadium as a fan then? I did. That is cool. I didn't know that. Very cool. Well, then you sign, so you start your career Class A Burlington, Iowa, 1966. You had 14 home runs for the bees. Now that first season in, in pro ball there in Iowa, what do you remember about that? Uh, it was an adjustment. I think it was my first year of marriage, you know, first year of pro ball, a lot of things playing that many games. Uh, it was quite an adjustment just getting used to uh, playing ball every day and learning uh, ins and outs of uh, how to handle that. The good old Midwest League. It's one of my favorites to follow. Uh, now, one of your teammates that year that was also a future Royal, and we lost him way too young, obviously, was Don O'Reilly. Do you remember much about him from that year? Oh, I knew Don quite well. We played uh, several years together, and we, uh, we were pretty good friends at the time. What was he? Pretty, I'm assuming a pretty, pretty neat man then? Yeah, he, Don was pretty good. You know, it's, we're talking about 40 years ago, so it's, uh, it's hard to speak of anybody, uh, particularly person that you only knew for a short period of time, but that was a good guy. Yeah. Well, 1967, then, you go to Leesburg, Florida. High A ball. You led the league in many categories. You kind of took off that year. 294, you had 18 home runs. You drove in 80. You were a slam dunk all-star that year. I mean, Leesburg, how much fun was that? And where, where was Leesburg, Florida, by the way? Just north of Orlando. Okay. Uh, you learned to deal with humidity. I think I lost about 20 pounds that summer, right? <laughs> It's a little bit different playing in Leesburg than anywhere else. A good way to diet. I'm assuming it must have been a real fun summer, too, though, overall. It was a good summer. I had a great coach there named Jimmy Williams, and uh, Jimmy really helped me a lot. He was, a, he was in the Dodger organization. 
he really uh, did a lot for me and, and our family. Uh, I had a young child at the time, and uh, Tracy was just born that previous year. So his, his wife and himself, they kind of uh, took us under their wing, and he helped me out quite a bit. He was uh, not just a good manager, good hitting coach, but uh, personally uh, he helped me grow up a little bit. Well, after 1967 then, so the A's moved away from Kansas City to Oakland. Now, you obviously you've yet to play in Kansas City at that point for the A's, but so did that move affect you guys much as minor leaguers? You know, it really didn't at that point in time. I mean, you're thinking of uh, where you're going to be your next year. I, I know that in 1967, uh, in the offseason, uh, I went to uh, – the Florida Instructional League, or the Arizona Instructional League. And at that time, I, I was there with uh, Jackson and Campanaris and uh, Jimmy Holt and quite Gene Tennis, quite a few other guys. Johnny McNamara, the manager of the Instructional League that year, and uh, we spent three months together. So there was some talk at that time about what was going to happen the following year. Right. Well, and what about spring training complexes then? Did, did those move then? Where were the, where was Kansas City training at back then? When you talk about uh, the A's and, and uh, minor league was in Daytona Beach. Okay. You know, and, and we went from Bradenton, Florida, and uh, then they had uh, – Shipped everybody out to, of course, minor league ball, and, and we went to Daytona Beach. Okay. And then went to Fort Myers. Right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah. 1968, then, the next year, amazing one for you because you'd be at both AA Birmingham and obviously the major league. So to start with, you're hitting 299 with 7 and 52 for Birmingham, and then Oakland calls you up in early August of that year. So take us back to that moment you first found out you were getting called up. How'd you find the news? Who told you? Where were you at? All that good stuff. Well, believe it or not, I got a call from Charlie, and I, of course, questioned the call. I assumed <laughs> it was a, a teammate or somebody else making a gesture at about 2 o'clock in the morning, but that was Charlie's way of... Uh, of giving me the call, and it was, uh, even though I was quite incredulous at that point in time, it was quite an honor. What was he like? Did you get to know Charlie Finley much? Well, you know, I was one of the, the boys out of Arizona State at that time, and it was, you know, Bando, Monday, Jackson. He had a, he had a few guys that he had followed, supposedly, even though I didn't play baseball down there. Um, he was very good to me all the way through when I first signed uh, up to the point where he called me up and, and took care of me. I think at the time he called me up, I was in uh, somewhere on the road with, with Birmingham and uh, ended up going to Cleveland, I believe. I, I don't think I had a sport coat or suit with me, and I can remember him just giving me a check to go buy some clothes. <laughs> now, were you surprised that you skipped AAA completely then? I think if you go back and look, Charlie uh, did a lot of, he liked Birmingham, uh, that was, you know, being one of his hometowns. Uh, he really uh, liked the town of Birmingham, and he pulled a lot of us straight from Birmingham to the major leagues. Well, now you get to the big leagues then, and pretty cool honor. You became just the 10th player in major league history to pinch hit, home run in your first 
major league at bat. It was off future Royal Lindy McDaniel, actually, at Yankee Stadium. So, I mean, what a cool beginning, right, for that first home run. Take us back to that and that at bat. Well, I'd like to say I remembered everything about it, but, uh, you know, you're kind of on a cloud at that particular point in time. And I uh, I can't tell you all the particulars other than knowing I probably took a few of Lindy's fork balls, which he, he was a very good relief pitcher at that point in time. And uh, all I remember was that uh, one of the players had told me, that if it looks low, just take it because it's going to end up in the dirt. I think from there I got a good fastball to hit, and I was lucky enough to hit it out. The only thing I remember about that was uh, Mickey Mantle was playing first base at that point in time of his career. And passing him, I think, was probably as uh, emotional as anything else about that hit. Wow. I'm, I'm assuming you never got the baseball back, though, right? Uh, I got it back. I'm not sure it was the correct one. <laughs> they gave it to me afterwards in the clubhouse. I still have it, but... Uh, who knows if it's that, that baseball or somebody else gave it to me and wanted something for it. Wow, that's kind of cool. Well, either way, you know you've got a ball from your first game, so that's all that matters, I guess, right? I guess it is. Very cool. Well, now that summer you also played with, uh, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, several Hall of Famers, several great players like Mr. October Reggie Jackson himself. I mean, how much help was he, you know, as a young outfitter like yourself? Well, I think we were all young and all struggling and all uh, willing to learn. I mean, we, we were, uh, we all loved baseball, um, wanted to play, tried to figure out uh, how to play the game. And I think that, uh, you know, having Reggie and, and uh, Rick Monday, Bando, Catfish, I mean, all, all the folks that were there were either in their early 20s. Uh, we had very few guys that were in their 30 years. Or more, and so uh, it was hard to draw upon veteran experience, other than the fact that you know Catfish and Lou Kraus had been around for five years or so, even though they were still young. Yeah, well, so following 1968, then. Now I read in my old media guides that you had an off-season job at you know doing national real estate. So, and that's when the Royals took you in the fourth round of the expansion draft. So. Now, first of all, like winter jobs. I mean, did pretty much everybody work those back then? And what were you doing in the in the off season exactly? You know, the winter jobs were, were a little bit different. I mean, in '68, um, I, I would say '67. My winter jobs were more on the, the line of uh, working in the Pomona Tile Company, taking seventy-pound tile pallets off the line and stacking them. In 1968, after I had played baseball uh, with Oakland, I went down to Puerto Rico and played baseball in the winter. Okay. Did, did pretty much everybody have a winter job then, back then, for the most part? Uh, you know, not everybody. But, I mean, I, I think those of us uh, that realized that we needed to do other things after we were through with baseball, we tried to figure out what to uh, start in anyway. I mean, after... Puerto Rico, I came back to Kansas City, and I, I started to work public relations, and I also got my uh, real estate license in Kansas City uh, for the off-seasons. I also worked PR for the Royals for, for two or three years, too. Oh, really? Why you were playing for them? Oh, yeah. I, I worked... Uh, we had, I like, four or five of us that were basically uh, employed by the Royals that traveled around in the off-season. Um, and we were lined up with, I don't know if you have heard of Charlie Truitt, but Commerce Bank. And um, we would go to the small towns in the six-state area and basically 
the bankers would line up a complete day of uh, work and banquets and whatever else. We'd go hunting with the farmers in the morning. We'd give speeches in the afternoon and uh, just whatever they wanted in that particular town. And it was a good way for the royals to put out uh, goodwill as, as well as to sell season tickets to uh, the people in the six-state area. Okay, so that must have been like the early stages of the royals' caravans back then. You were one of the Basically, the, this was a prelude to the Royals' caravan. I mean, caravan was like a three- or four-day event or whatever it was, a week event. This took place during the whole winter. Huh. That is cool. I never heard that before. So, all right, so the Royals then take you in the fourth round of the expansion draft then. So that moment you found out you were coming to KC, I'm assuming you were probably excited then if you grew up coming to games here, and what do you remember about the moment you found out? I was a little bit disappointed. If you really? I was down in Puerto Rico playing ball, and all the guys that I grew up with were with the A's. And um, I, I, I think it was a, a major disappointment for me, and because of all the, uh, the guys I grew up with and knowing uh, how much talent there was in Oakland, I, I was a little bit disappointed. So uh, my first reaction, of course, was, uh, why me? <laughs> And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, I got to Kansas City, and I, it was, it was a, a really neat thing uh, to be drafted, one, in the early rounds, but two, to, uh, to come together with another group of young kids. Yeah, you did. Well, you made the opening day roster then in 1969. Now, before we talk about that, think back to that first spring training. So you're just getting, you know, to your new team then in 1969, and everyone on that team obviously was brand new. Most of the guys didn't know each other. What do you remember about you know those first few weeks or even that spring training? What was that process like of getting to know guys and you know launching a new team? It was more of a blending together. I, I would think it's more like I, I I didn't go through the army, but I would I would imagine it's kind of like basic training when you're thrown together with a whole bunch of guys and try to uh, accomplish a job. Yeah. yeah. One, you're competing with everybody, and uh, of course, competition is is great, but and it's kind of hard to become a a good teammate when you're competing with half the people that are down there. But it also, it, it's, uh, you're getting to know not just the, the players themselves, but the wives and the families. Now, who are some of the guys you kind of hit it off with right away, some of your new teammates that you became close with? Uh, some that I had played against here before in the, in the few months, and some that I would played against for years in California growing up. But, uh, you know, Ed Kirkpatrick was my roommate, I think, the first couple of years. Uh, he and, of course, Dave Moorhead, uh, Drabo, Pinella. He, Luke came along a little bit later. I don't even think he was at the first year of spring training, but uh, he was traded in spring training. But, I mean, the whole group uh, was pretty close. Jim Rucker was a very good friend. We got to be better friends later on. In fact, if you want to know, Dave, I, I, there's only two interviews that I listened to before uh, I, I had this interview. One was Sims and one was Bobby Knopf. I just wanted to know I wasn't getting ambushed before I got on here with you. <laughs> yeah, Jim's a good guy. He's a, he's, a, he's a good cat. Have you seen any of his children's books, by the way, that he's published? I, we've got them all for uh, I gave them to my uh, grandkids. Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah, that's cool. Well, now you're obviously remembered forever as the player who got the game-winning hit then in the first game of Royals regular season history. So it's the 12th inning. I've heard Denny Matthews tell the story. 
many, many times. You know, it's opening day against the Twins. I believe he said it's a real cold day, if I remember right. A line drive to deep right. So, you know, can you remember that at bat in that day pretty well? Yeah, again, I was a little bit miffed because I came out of spring training and I was, uh, I think I led the team in hitting that spring training and uh, I, didn't, I didn't start that day. So I, I was a little bit uh, upset, but sitting there for, for 12 innings and it was very cold. Uh, getting the, the opportunity to come in and there in the 12th inning, all I was thinking about was getting a couple of good rips and uh, hopefully hitting a fly ball and, and scoring the run, of, of which I did hit a ball pretty good, and uh, it, 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 it scored the run. What a cool honor, though, right? You, you get the first hit in Royals history to win a game. That's got to be cool. Yeah, back then we didn't call them walk-offs. We just, uh, it was a good victory, and it was a lot of fun. Everybody enjoyed it. Did you guys, uh, you know, pound each other and you know, like they do, you know, today when you crossed home plate? Uh, everybody was excited. I don't think you go through the gyrations that they do today. I mean, I, it's kind of like watching football back then versus football today. I don't think you saw celebrations. Uh, I think you tended more to to say, "I've done this before." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's fair enough on that. Now, Joe Gordon was your manager that year. You know, what was he like? man he had managed my uh, my brother marty uh, in san francisco i believe like in the early 50s uh, and i can remember going up to san francisco and and watching their games as a young brat um, so I, I i guess i've known joe i had known joe for a long period of time well that next year was 1970 and you had an amazing two months followed by a horrible injury so let's start with the positive so you played every day after an injury to Lou Pinella then in May, and you were sixth in the league in hitting on June 28th of 1970. You were hitting 322, and then you had that unfortunate, you know, breaking of the leg while you were sliding home against California. So was that something where you knew it was broken right away, and then how tough was that to go through? Well, I think the tough part was just knowing that I, I was uh, finally getting it together as a hitter, and uh uh, yes, I did know. I mean, something snapped in there, and so uh, I knew it wasn't good. I, I was good friends with Tommy Hagan, uh, who was the catcher for the Angels, and uh, I knew him be in high school, and I, and I played with him later on in my career, and Tom said he heard a snap. Uh, it, it was not a good feeling. Yeah, and, man, you're just coming into your own, too, playing every day. That had to have been... An awful situation. So, I mean, you played for two managers that year, Charlie Metro and Bob Lemon. What do you remember about those two guys? They were both really good. I mean, Metro, uh, he was very good to me. He gave me a chance to go out there and play every day, left-handed, right-handed, hit against uh, everybody. And uh, Charlie Charlie was more, I, I guess if, if Charlie was born too soon, he was more of a sabermetrics guy. He had a clock watch, stopwatch with him all the time. He, he believed in different theories than a lot of other people did. He was timing you from uh, from home plate to second base before anybody else did. Uh, so he was a, a good man. And uh, Bob, of course, there, if you couldn't play for Bob, you couldn't play for anybody. I mean, Bob was just the, the ultimate player's uh, manager. I once heard, I actually, okay, so one time a long time ago, I used to do print articles for the Royals, and I interviewed Charlie Metro back when he was still alive, obviously, and he told me, did you ever hear the story? He, he kind of helped out with Cedric Tallis, you know, put together the 69 team. He told me that Mickey Mantle was almost a Royal. Did you ever hear that story? No. 
Yeah, he swore to me that they 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 were trying to get him to come over as a player slash manager type thing and DH him at the very end there. Although there was no DH back then, so maybe he didn't say DH. I don't know. He told me that though back in the day, so I thought that was interesting. But uh, well, it'd be a good way for Mickey to end his career close to Oklahoma. I mean, you know, you always wanted Mickey to be a Yankee and end stay a Yankee, but uh, if there was one place he could go, he'd go back to Kansas City and be close to everybody in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. So now, by the end of 1970, you're obviously getting pretty well respected by your teammates because then, I'm assuming they voted you, or I don't know how you got this honor, but you were kind of the player rep then for the team in both 1971 and 1972. So how much did that mean to you? And then what kind of things, and I guess that was kind of pre-free agency, but what kind of things were you doing in that role back in those days? I guess you're saying I got the short straw, so I was the player rep. <laughs> yeah. It was... It was quite an experience for me. In fact, it was it was a really good experience. I mean, I learned a lot from it. It helped me later on in probably business career. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I mean, I went through the times where we we had the first baseball strike, and um, the, the the real good thing about being a player rep was I got to meet Marvin Miller and, and know him. He was quite an individual. Um, I have a, just the ultimate respect for him, and not just for what he did for baseball, but him as a person. So, it, was it mainly, I mean, was that a thing where you did something quite a bit? Were you actively in, in contact with everything? Well, at that time, I was. I mean, I don't know if you've gone back into history, but uh, it was not a pretty time for... Uh, Between players and ownership at that point in time, it was uh, a lot of verbiage being thrown around between uh, the players' union and uh, the owners, and a lot of statements being made that weren't good for for anybody. Um, And and we all had one thing in common. We all wanted to play baseball, and we all wanted to win. We loved the game. Uh, There were just different views on what happens during the game and how you get paid and, and what happens after you stop playing the game. And because of that, uh, there was a long period of time of uh, unhappy or unrest between the players and the owners. Because of that, we had a lot of meetings, and uh, when the strike came up, it, it meant a lot of time uh, working um, with Marvin and with the players um, trying to figure out where we were going, what we are trying to accomplish. Well, 1971 starts then, and you're the regular right fielder. You had stretches of getting hits in 11 of 12 games and then 22 of 27 games, so you're hitting the ball pretty well. And you guys finish in second place, over 500 for the first time in team history then in 1971. How much fun was that year? It's always fun to win. I mean, that's what it's all about. And um, I I think we, we were a group that was getting closer. You could see that the team was getting a little bit better each year. I mean, the first year, we weren't very good. And we still played fairly well because we we were pretty cohesive. And as the team added a few pieces, we were still um, very tight and and cohesive group. And and, um, you could see that winning was going to come. So in 1971, it was starting to come around fairly well. Unfortunately, there was a team ahead of us that was uh, my former team, 
really talented at that point in time. Yeah, a lot of great players. Now, you, But you guys had a lot of great players, too. And I think a couple of guys who, you know, there are many guys behind it, obviously, uh, how successful the Royals were early on and how they built things differently from other expansion teams back then. But, I mean, two of those architects were Cedric Tallis and Lou Gorman. What were those kind of guys like? You know, uh, Lou and, and Cedric, and, and you have to remember, John Sherholz was working there, and Sherholz was worked very close with Lou Gorman. They both came out of the same organization. And uh, then you had Charlie sitting in there, Charlie Metro. So you had a lot of talent in the front office that uh, really knew what they were doing. Well, and you, you mentioned you grew up going to games, obviously, at Municipal Stadium, but... For someone like me, who was, I was never actually, you know, fortunate enough to be in it. What was that park like when you think back to it? I, uh, well, it wasn't a home run inning park by any means, especially after you put that screen up in right field. Uh, I had visited the park many times when the uh, screen wasn't there. In fact, goats were out there. In fact, animals <laughs> were out there in the right field area. But, but it was a, a large baseball park. It was great for defense and great if you were uh, a single hitter because there was a lot of room and the outfielders had to cover a lot of ground. Um, the one thing that you'll always remember about Municipal Stadium was that uh, George Toma was our groundskeeper. And uh, it just, you know, he, he was so meticulous about that. It was just the finest field in baseball, and we all knew it. We all appreciated George and his crew. And how about how was that park like as far as kind of surroundings? It's hard to imagine it being there now because it's obviously gone. But like on a game day, was there restaurants and bars, and was it kind of a, a fun experience to go to a game back then, or was it kind of just isolated from everything else? Do you, you kind of remember what that was like? Well, you, you know, your your image of things changes as you grow older, but <laughs> right, right. Uh, at the time, it was just another baseball park because a lot of baseball parks were located in very similar areas. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of uh, new baseball parks in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Oakland uh, was one of the few new ballparks in the major league. Hmm. Well, so 1972, then the team has you know, a little bit of a disappointing year. You're in fourth place, you're back under 500, and you didn't get as much playing time as you would have liked, I'm sure. Was 72 kind of a pretty frustrating year? It was. I, I think that uh, 72 was a, a good year of awakening for me. and um, I had never fully recovered from um, my ankle break of the 70s. Um, the dislocation, I wasn't very fast to start with, but it left me a little bit slower and impeded my progress as far as going from base to base. And I was left with a few... Uh, rods and screws from the from the operation back in the 70s but not using that as an excuse I, not playing very much it was a very disappointing year yeah well then in the next february of 73 then you get traded by the royals to the white Sox for jim little who never appeared in a game for kansas city but so w when you got that news you know how, how are you feeling then well I, I think i was expecting it i mean when you get as few at-bats as I had in 72 and knowing the team is progressing, um, you know, you don't want to be part of a, you know, a pair of brown shoes in a tuxedo. You want a fresh start yourself. So I was looking forward to uh, 
to playing again. I had just come back from Venezuela where I played uh, winter ball again, trying to get some at bats and uh, get myself back in shape. So I was, I was really looking forward to uh, something new. How was, I know you played winter ball a few years, how was that, and in particular Venezuela? I mean, we enjoyed most of the time we were there in Puerto Rico and in Venezuela. Um, you got to meet different people, pick up different languages, different cultures. Uh, I took my family. Um, Puerto Rico, I just had my daughter and my wife. And in uh, Venezuela, my son, uh, my daughter, and uh, my wife were with me, and we enjoyed it. Of course, you met different people from different ball clubs. We... You know, we had certain um, rules. I think in Venezuela, they had six or eight uh, ball players that uh, was the limit for uh, American ball players you could have on a team. So you got to meet players from other clubs and uh, their families. You only played uh, four days a week, so it was uh, a little bit of a rest, and you got to adventure through the country. So it was very nice. I, you know, I tried to make the best of it, and it was good. What was the food like down there? I love the food. Really? But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't. <laughs> they say don't drink the water, but my feeling is if you uh, drink it the first day and get sick, then the rest of the time you're in good shape. <laughs> yeah, get it out of the way, right? Kind of like you know, mixing your kid who hasn't had chicken pox with somebody who has. Get it out of the way. <laughs> so, that's it. I mean, right now we live in a germ-free environment, and I'm not sure that's all good. Right, right, right. So, so 1973 then. The majority of that year, you're at AAA Iowa, but did, you did make it up to Chicago then for five games. You had one at bat. Now, ironically, your last major league appearance would be as a defensive replacement in a July doubleheader uh, in Kansas City. So, but anyway, when you go back to that, I mean, were you did you kind of know things were getting towards the end when you think back to you know end of '73 ish? You know, I didn't know it was the end. I mean, I was uh, again. I was, there were people talking to me. Minnesota, I think, uh, ended up trading for me. Yeah. And uh, Tom Bergmeier and a few others tried to talk me into coming back. But I had, uh, I had worked in the offseason in uh, real estate. and I, In fact, I had picked up um, a job with um, a small company called Photomat, and I was uh, involved in their expansion process. And I got to really enjoy it in the offseason of 73, and decided I was going to stay with it. And I think about February of uh, 1974, the only person that was not happy with that move was my wife because she had always enjoyed going down to Florida or somewhere <laughs> else for spring training. <laughs> That's and uh, it really just trans- transformed itself into a different career. Now, did you have, you know, because I talk to people all the time and it seems like they have kind of like a mourning period where they kind of get away from baseball and are burned out of it. I mean, how was it for you? Did, was it tough separating yourself or did you, or did you just have total peace in your heart at that time? You know, you always want to play. I love to compete. I still love to compete. And, uh, and the one thing you can't replace, even though sometimes you try to in the business world, is the camaraderie of a team and being part of a team. And I think you miss the people and the players more than you do anything else. And I, I, it's hard to, uh, to tell somebody else about it that hasn't gone through it. But being part of a, 
a team like Kansas City for a few years, I mean, when you celebrate a parade of victory, you, you go out and eat together, you go drink together, you have fun together, uh, your family's mixed together. It, it's, it's, that is part of it that you really miss and I don't think you can replace. So did I miss that? Yes. Uh, did I enjoy going on with my life? Yes. Okay, so the best of both worlds. That, fair enough. So now when you look back at your times in Kansas City then, you know, your favorite memories of playing for the Royals, when you kind of you know, think back right now, what comes to your head when you think of warm, good memories? I think everything was a good memory. I, I, the best, you know, sometimes the best comes out of the worst. I met so many good people in Kansas City, and most of it, or a lot of it, came from the time I was in the hospital. Um, from the time I injured my ankle, I think um, until I came back the next season, I believe, I, I don't know how many cards, could have been 5,000, could have been 10,000 people from Kansas City. I tried to, to read and answer every card that, uh, that I received from different kids, uh, grown-ups, seniors, Everybody that was following me and was so concerned about my ankle. I mean, there was so much going on in life to worry about, and they're worried about my ankle. Huh. I mean, I, I just got the biggest thrill out of that. The people in Kansas City are just wonderful, and they, they were always good to me. Uh, no matter where I went, no matter what I do. In fact, I've got, I went back for a couple of old-timers games, and, and uh, it, it was very nice to know that uh, you're still appreciated in that town. Didn't you just end up living here for a while, too, after you played? Uh, for a short while. Yeah. We had a home in uh, Overland Park. It was uh, down by I-35 and 435 at the time. 435 wasn't even built when it first had it, but uh, huh. it was a brand-new home where three or four of the players had moved into. It was called Oak Park. Huh. And uh, it was a J.C. Nichols project down there of homes. So we bought a home there in the first year we were there, and um, we lived there through 1964 before I uh, got transferred to Atlanta. Okay, very cool. Now, I was wondering if I could ask you, I mean, some of these guys you might not remember a lot about. Like you said, it's been a number of years, but I was wondering if I could ask you about some of your old teammates that we you know, lost way too young to get some memories of them. Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I read a comment on, you know, I followed the blog occasionally for the uh, A's and for the municipal stadium, I saw a comment on there. Only 35 royals have passed away. I, I looked at that and I said, "That's kind of a morbid thought." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of <laughs> when you put it that way. Well, so do you remember much about uh, the first guy? I guess is Jerry Adair. Jerry's a great guy. I, I, I like Jerry a lot. Jerry was, um, he was different. I mean, he, he, was, he would speak his piece at any cost. And, and at his age, he was really our veteran of our club from 1969. I mean, to the point where uh, he would even challenge our manager if he didn't think the manager was right or doing the right thing for all of us. Now, how about uh, any memories of uh, Joe Foy? Joe was a great guy. Joe was funny. He, uh, he would keep the clubhouse alive. Just a, a great guy to have around the clubhouse. You mentioned uh, your old roommate, uh, you know, Spanky Kirkpatrick. Talk about him. 
Yeah, well, Spanky lived, like I said, back in, uh, he moved into Oak Park the same time we did, so our families were very, very close. In fact, uh, when he got into this automobile accident that kind of to his death in, in future years, um, we were there in Southern California, and I visited he and Judy and his family, but there, he was a Spanky was uh, not just a good player, but a good guy. Any memories? These two were briefly, but anything about Pat Kelly or Juan Rios? Yeah. That I knew for a couple of years. In fact, Pat was in Chicago when I went to Chicago. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, he had a brother that wasn't a bad running back either. Yeah, Leroy was a pretty good running back at Cleveland. Uh, did, do you remember Juan much? I, I, no one seems to remember him when I bring him up to people. I remember Juan. Uh, yeah, tall, lanky, short stuff. He's... Uh, I played against him in Winter Bowl one year, too. But uh, Juan was around for a couple of years. Good uh, defensive ball player. How about Mo Drabowski? <laughs> There's a character. <laughs> I, I still, uh, I, I love he and his wife, Liz, I mean, just great people. Um, you just don't find him any nicer than that. I, I, can, uh, I can thank Mo for being around the short period of time that he was. He and... Uh, Live. We had a great time. Mo was just the prankster of all pranksters, yet uh, what a smart guy he was. Uh, he, he knew a lot about baseball. He didn't like to let, let everybody know how smart he was, but he knew not just baseball, but uh, common sense and the outside world. Do you remember much about uh, Hawk Taylor? Hawk was a, a great pinch hitter, of course. That's you know, you can go back and document that. He's also a pretty good catcher and very smart. He, he was one guy that could sit there and talk to you about pitchers and uh, what they were going to be throwing you and, and, and situations. He, he would have made a very good coach. I don't, I don't know if he did coach or not, but he was a, a very studious. And then uh, I guess the last three are uh, Ted Abernathy. I knew Ted from, for a long time. I think he even played with my brother for a few years. He was, uh, he was a character. Side armor? Not even side armor. Let's call him an under armor. He almost <laughs> scraped his knuckles on the ground when he was throwing the ball. Uh, Jerry May? Another catcher, I believe, right? Yeah, Jerry came over from Pittsburgh. Really nice guy. Good catcher, too. Very good catcher. And then uh, the last two are Bruce Del Canton and, of course, Split. Well, you got two just unbelievable people there. Bruce, you know, just the nicest guy in the world. I, if any, I don't know if anybody ever said a bad word about Bruce. He's just a wonderful guy. Um, and Split, uh, you know, Split was a young kid that he was younger than I was. And uh, just a great arm. I mean, unbelievable arm. I don't think he ever got enough recognition for how well he could throw. And I, I think he loved the city of Kansas City and uh, was a great announcer, too. Yeah, I love the old stories of him uh, after his career taking his tape recorder out to Blue Springs High School and you know, doing games from the stands out there to become a good broadcaster. He was so competitive, he had to be a, you know, great at everything. So. I think that's one of the things that drove a lot of the Royals. We were all competitors. I don't care if you were 
playing pinball machines in a bar. You wanted to compete and win. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. I guess in summary, the last thing I have for you is, you know, Royals fans listening right now, what would you like to say to them? I just say keep on running because this team's only going to get better. Uh, I'm uh, looking forward to next year as, as a fan, and I hope you are too. It's going to be uh, a fantastic season. Well, thank you for, for all your time and for all that you gave to the Royals, and you know, especially in those early days and helping to kind of you know, be a part of what got this team and the franchise going. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll stay in touch and, and uh, see you in Kansas City one of these days. Thank you, Dave. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye.